Hello and welcome to UX Soup, a short form podcast that looks beyond the buzzwords to give you the latest developments impacting the user experience of personal devices and services in the home, in the car, and on the go. As always, UX Soup is presented by Strategy Analytics, a global research and consulting firm providing our clients with insights, analysis, and expertise. I'm Chris Schreiner, and I'm joined today by one of my Strategy Analytics colleagues from the Automotive Connected Mobility team. Ben Lundin is making his UX Soup debut. Welcome, Ben. Hi, Chris. Thanks for having me on. Real pleasure to join you today. So, Ben, I, I brought you on because we wanted to discuss mobility services, ride hailing, car sharing, public transportation, and how these industries have been impacted uh, by the pandemic, uh, what consumers are thinking about them going forward, and what UX issues we're, we're seeing with them. So, Ben, could you start off by just telling me a bit about uh, the area of, of mobility that you handle? Right. So, for strategy analytics, mobility consists of a few different market segments, including car sharing, ride hailing, micromobility, so like shared scooters and bikes, and then looking at how public transit kind of integrates into all of these different sectors. So with COVID-19, obviously, mobility generally declined worldwide right out the gate, starting in about January and then continuing up until present day. For each of those different markets, though, there were a number of different trends that kind of unfolded. At the beginning of the pandemic, car sharing, ride hailing, micromobility operators all saw precipitous declines in ridership, ride volume, revenue, et cetera. But as COVID kind of began to improve and the landscape began to uh, return to kind of a pseudo type normal, each of these different operators has seen different results. So ride hailing companies like Uber and Lyft, DD, uh, and other worldwide operators in the beginning saw enormous declines, which have continued up until present day. Many of these firms have then pivoted over to things like food delivery, parcel delivery, uh, medical support and supplies, pharmaceutical delivery, and more as kind of these peripheral services or hedges against steep mobility declines. Car sharing operators, on the other hand, so like Zipcar, Turo, Get Around, again, saw precipitous declines in the beginning of the pandemic. But as mobility demand started to increase, these companies saw enormous surges in membership. And this was mostly stemming from people moving away from public transit due to presumably health concerns being in close proximity to strangers. So these sorts of people who were traditionally using public transit ended up moving over to car sharing services for specifically short errand related trips, day trips within their local area, these were use cases that people weren't really using shared cars for in the past. So car sharing saw a direct advantage from decline in public transit ridership. Public transit has, before the pandemic, saw declines in ridership over the last decade even more. But the pandemic has created an enormous, enormous void in ridership for public transit agencies. It's forcing many public transit agencies to rethink how they distribute their vehicles across cities. From conversations I've had and our practices had with public transit officials, we found that many public transit agencies are rethinking fixed route transportation. So historically, if you go into a city, you might find a bus that goes on a regular schedule, arrives at 
stops at specific times. Now, with such decrease in demand across these cities, all of these different fixed route services aren't being utilized at the rate that they were in the past. This isn't a very effective use of vehicles. Now they're looking at things like demand responsive transport, where instead of serving fixed routes, they can queue a ride on a mobile device and the city will send out a van, a micro transit vehicle, a shuttle, what have you, so, to pick up that person and bring them from point A to point B. So this would be more like a putting public transport as a direct competitor to something like Uber and Lyft? Uh, in a way, though, Uber and Lyft kind of help support these programs. So in January, Uber released its comprehensive public transit white paper where they deployed three different kinds of transportation services they're going to offer to public transportation officials as kind of a supplement. So Uber offers a white label app support to public transit agencies that want to run their own demand responsive transport systems. They offer different sorts of software compatibility um, uh, programs for different public transportation agencies. So I wouldn't consider it a competition. I consider it more as like a supplement to help them kind of rethink the way that they deploy their vehicles through public transit. So to get back for a second to what you were talking about, about consumers not taking ride hailing services and public transport in the beginning, we just published some survey data that looks at consumer feedback as to how much they've used these services in the past year uh, due to the pandemic. And in the U.S., we've seen that more than one in five people that had been using ride hailings and taxis have stopped using them altogether. And 28% have stopped using public transport because of the pandemic. Certainly, we've seen more than half basically say that they've been using it less than they did before. So that's obviously been a big hit. Car sharing, as you mentioned, car sharing kind of saw a bit of a, wasn't hit as hard. It wasn't hit as hard as some of the other mobility services. And that showed up in our survey too, where a, a lot fewer stopped using them because again, they're not around other people. They have temporarily that space to themselves. And if they have the proper cleaning and sanitization measures in place, then when we ask consumers about you know, what measures like that make it feel, make them feel more comfortable in using these mobility services, just a basic sanitization for ride hailing, using a mask, um, for make sure the driver is masked. Um, those went a long way into restoring consumer confidence. So car sharing, as long as there's been some assurance that the car has been sanitized before they got it, then they tend to be okay using it. So one of the things I, I wanted to ask you about is, and, and apologies, because this is a bit outside of the UX portion, but it does have UX implications. So all of these companies, Uber, Lyft, Didi, that operates in China and Grab in Southeast Asia, they have all struggled to turn a profit before 2020. And then having all of this hit and, and hurt them more, what do you see for ride hailing in the future? How are these companies going to turn a profit? And are they going to do that by impacting the user experience, impacting the usefulness and the cost element of, of what consumers in the end are going to have to pay? Right. So profitization and ride hailing has to do a lot with cost structure. So as you mentioned, cost is big. And with these companies, 
which primarily helped them throughout the pandemic to inevitably survive was due to the fact that they had what we call a variable cost structure where costs will decline as demand or as output declines. So these companies aren't operating at very high fixed costs because they're not paying steady employment to drivers. All these drivers get paid as they serve demand and produce output. So the cost structure is variable. And throughout the COVID-19 pandemic, many of these companies tried to make their cost structures even leaner. And this resulted in major divestments in things like autonomy. So you saw Uber sell off uh, its uh, Uber ATG to Aurora. Um, you see Lyft just the other day selling off its um, self-driving autonomous level five program to Toyota, Woven. Um, so you see these companies, at least in the United States, uh, moving away from kind of research and development and long-term business interests in the name of, of reducing costs. Uber, what many don't know, is that it's been profitable in ride hailing for at least, I think, the last year. So one of the ways that ride hailing companies were looking at to uh, increase profits was to move towards more automated vehicles so that they didn't have to pay drivers at that point. Um, we've had a, a few episodes of this podcast talking about autonomous vehicles and some of the UX issues with those. You know, we certainly see certain issues that might pop up with autonomous mobility services with particularly first mile and last mile issues. So if you have a human driver, you can tell them, hey, drop me off at this particular spot. Or you can have some text or voice contact with the driver to help you pick you up if, if you can't find each other. And those are some of the issues that some of these AV mobility services are going to have to deal with. With them selling off their research and development and their AV activities, that's not a signal that we're not going to see these autonomous mobi uh, mobility vehicles going forward. It's just that they're not going to be the ones developing them. Yeah, I'd agree with that statement. I think many of these ride hailing companies, again, take different approaches to autonomy. But from what I'm seeing, primarily these ride hailing companies leverage what we call network effects, where they have a huge array and, and wealth of people using their applications day in and day out. Uber, Lyft, Didi, Grab, all across the world, Gojek, different ride-hailing operators everywhere around the world have accumulated billion-plus members on these platforms. So all of these individuals using these platforms are going to be exposed to different on-demand services offered by each of these companies. Southeast Asia companies like Grab and Gojek offer financial services and banking to people using these applications. So even though they primarily specialize in ride hailing, they've moved over to different sorts of on-demand services that end up keeping people on these applications, building a stronger network, through more added value services that aren't directly connected to ride hailing. Again, these companies aren't necessarily moving in one uniform direction towards autonomy, but they will serve as valuable gatekeepers for getting users into the hands of OEMs that are producing these autonomous vehicles. So in my mind, I see Uber moving away from autonomy 
in order to build out and strengthen their overall network. So we saw move away from autonomy, but also move toward grocery delivery through Cornerstone acquisition Mm -hmm. or alcohol on-demand delivery through Drizzly acquisition. So Uber wants to be an on-demand platform for everything, a la kind of an Amazon for transportation, if you will. Right. Instead of being that kind of long-term focused company on autonomous vehicle deployment, they feel that they can be a stepping stone for OEMs to provide autonomous vehicles on their platforms that then get used by Uber users. So let's talk for a minute about car sharing companies like Zipcar, Toro, Get Around. Uh, we've done so many evaluations of these car sharing services, and and we tend to find the same user experience issues with these from things like just registering and getting your driver's license information into the system and the time that that takes to connectivity issues of getting into the vehicle, those first mile, last mile issues that we talked about, about getting to the car and getting from the car to where you actually want to be, issues with knowing where you can park if it's a location-based one that doesn't have a set station, issues within the vehicle, there's so many issues and, and we have a, a lot of reports that could talk about that. But do you see car sharing having a brighter future because of the pandemic? Yeah, that's a difficult question. I, In my mind, it depends on the kind of business model that a car sharing operator might have. So traditional one-way car sharing services have very tight margins historically because of what you said regarding operational costs and difficulties with fueling, with maintenance, with making sure vehicles are where they're supposed to be at specific given points in time. But looking at companies like peer-to-peer car sharing, uh, companies like Turo or Get Around, the logistical challenges aren't necessarily there. So the margins are higher for these companies than for a one-way car sharing service like Zipcar. So a company like Turo and Get Around doesn't have to focus on the kind of distribution of vehicles from different access points. They just use, again, people as this kind of network driver to just keep vehicles and make them available at their homes, in parking lots where they keep their vehicles or garages where they keep their vehicles within a city. So I think in my mind, peer-to-peer car sharing companies like Get Around, Turo, I think have a brighter future than a company that has one way or station-based traditional car sharing uh, business platform like a Zipcar or like a BMW Daimler's share now service, again, mostly in Europe. So the last topic I want to talk about is having to do with user needs for transport going forward. So the pandemic certainly has changed everybody's transport habits. And it will likely have some kind of long-term impact on that. So we've seen already there's going to be more people working from home. There's going to be less travel for business because everybody is now so used to using Zoom and finding it very convenient and cost-effective. We're just starting in the U.S. now to be able to get back to having people come back to some kind of events. And that's certainly different state by state. But some of the long-term transport changes that we're going to see are going to impact what user needs are for these types of mobility services. For instance, how would this an increase in working from home 
and lack of business travel impact Uber, Lyft, or car sharing companies, or bike or scooter sharing companies? Right. Do you see which one's going to be more negatively impacted by it? So I think instead of thinking about the operators, we might want to focus on the businesses that employ people that work from home. So if you are a big company that headquartered in New York City, for example, and all of your workers are working at home right now, but you want to get people back into the office, you're going to have to look at your relationship with your employees a bit differently than you might have had in the past. In the past, workers got to work on their own. They commuted on their own without much interaction with their office on how to get there. But now companies, I think, are going to take a much more rigorous monitoring and control of how they get people into their offices. So if, instead of keeping people at home five days a week, you might want to have some of your employees in the office one, two to three times a week. So you might be able to coordinate rides on certain days or certain times for your employees to get them from their home to the office when you need them for in-person activity. I wonder how many employees are going to willingly or, or be interested or excited about that kind of prospect? Yeah, that's a good question. I think we'll see how that unfolds. I, I do think that this need is there for businesses that employ thousands of people, even hundreds of people, just because they will want that ability to flexibly manage who comes to the office and when. Again, that as you said, I think that does create a kind of burden on the employee to kind of be available at the whim of their employer uh, by request. So I think you're right. I think from the kind of, you know, if I'm an employee at one of these companies, will I really enjoy that my employer is kind of facilitating my travel <laughs> and coordinating my schedule for me? I don't know, um, but maybe it's something people get comfortable with over the long term. All right. So now it's time for condensed soup. And Lisa isn't here, so she can't go condensed soup, whoop, whoop, but, <laughs> but that's okay. Uh, so what we want to do for uh, this week's condensed soup, Ben, is talk about our best or worst mobility service experience. I love this question. Um, for me, I think my, maybe not my worst, maybe not my best, my funniest use of a mobility service was in Washington, D.C., uh, when I started at Strategy Analytics, and I met our director, Roger Lanto, who lives in Virginia. I met him in downtown D.C. in DuPont Circle. And at the time, there were scooter operators everywhere. Still to this day, I'm, I'm sure it's the same. But he wanted to figure out and use one of the scooters in, in downtown D.C. And as someone living in the city for two years, I had been using the scooters pretty regularly to kind of explore the city and bring my friends around when they visited to go see the different monuments and different areas of the city. And so I, I took Roger to ride a scooter in DuPont Circle. And we found an operator and I kind of walked him through how to access it on my phone. And he like had, he's, you know, he had this face on, he's like, what is this? Like, this is so hard. He's like, Whoa, this interface is, is difficult. So we, we went and found a scooter, and I activated it for him. I, I paid for it, and he jumped on the scooter and couldn't get it to work. <laughs> so he was, like, you know, kick-pushing on the sidewalk and couldn't get it to work, and he tried and tried and tried up and down this one sidewalk for about 
like five minutes and he just gave up. I was like, work. Can't get to work. And so I was like laughing. I was like, I, 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 look, I can do it. I can make it work. I hop right on, make it work. And then he's like, this is, this is ridiculous. How do you do that? <laughs> but for me, that was pretty funny because I didn't really know Roger at the time. And I was, you know, just getting ready to start working with him. And I was going to be working under him. And I, our first kind of hangout, we jumped on some scooters and it, it was a fun time. <laughs> no, that's a good story. Yeah, so mine had to do with a ride hailing experience. Back when we used to travel a lot for work, I was out on the West Coast, uh, Southern California, having to fly back to New York. So I would have a very early morning flight and I was going out to John Wayne Airport, uh, just south of L.A., on a, like a 6 or 6.30 a.m. flight. So I'm out there at 4 in the morning. I figure, okay, I'll be able to get a, a an Uber driver, a Lyft driver. And I book one, and I'm following where he is. It says he'll be here in 10 minutes. Five minutes later, I look back, and it says that he'll be here in 20 minutes. And I realize, looking at the map, that he's going the wrong direction. So I text him. I call him. No answer. So I had to cancel that. And then, of course, because I'm canceling it, Uber's going to charge me for it. So I start another one. This one accepts the ride. And it's going to be, he's 15 minutes away. When he's about five minutes away, he texts me and says, are you going to LAX? And I said, no, I'm going to John Wayne. And then I watch him as he comes up to the road that he's supposed to turn in to go to my hotel. And he keeps going. <laughs> and I text him and I call him and he doesn't respond. I've now wasted 45 minutes and I'm now worried that I'm going to miss my flight because I've had two Uber drivers decide they're going to pass me up. And I ended up having to, to go in. Thankfully, at that, by that point, somebody was manning the desk and they were able to get a ride for me. But it turns out that if you a little travel tip... Uh, if you were ever trying to fly out of John Wayne really early in the morning, no ride hailing person wants to take you there because there's nobody there for them to pick up. So they'll take you to LAX because there'll be early morning flights, but it's not profitable for them to take you to John Wayne. And I learned that lesson the hard way. Thankfully, though, I made my flight. <laughs> yeah, I think moving forward, at least the next year, you're going to see a lot of these types of stories where people aren't getting picked up. Um, and it's not for any particular reason other than the fact that there's just not enough drivers on these apps. Yeah. And uh, I think you're going to see many people frustrated over the coming months that they're not able to get rides yep. uh, in a timely manner at the same kind of you know rate as which they would have in the past. Yeah, and that's, I think that's going to be a, a big problem for consumers. I think that's a, a big UX issue that they're going to have to face over the next couple of years. Yeah, definitely. All right. Well, if you'd like to chat more about the mobility space, including our UX evaluations, our UX research, or get in contact with Ben to talk about more of the supply side information, or to send us any other questions you may have, you can email us at uxsoup, all one word, at strategyanalytics.com. The show notes on our podcast website, ux-soup.com, has links to our recent research on connected mobility. There you can also connect with us on LinkedIn. Reminder that UX Soup is sponsored, as always, by Strategy Analytics. Check out the latest user-focused insights on mobile automotive and the smart home by visiting strategyanalytics.com. 
Thanks for joining us. Bye for now. <laughs>